Amen. Well, at this time, I'd like to welcome our pastor, Pastor Josh, this morning, as he's going to bring the word. Thank you, Thea. Oh, thank you. Let's give it up for my gorgeous wife. Yes. I was really happy, uh, Katie, that you had everyone on welcome team coordinate wearing pink. That was probably my favorite part. So that's how you knew, yeah. God is alive and active because the whole guest care team wore pink today. <laughs> and well, hey, again, I'm excited, especially if this is your first time here at Banner Church, excited. I met some people who uh, got our card in the mail or maybe a good friend invited you. Kids are having a blast downstairs. <laughs> Um, but I just want to say welcome. We're excited that you're here. You know, there's a lot of things going on at Banner Church, but really we're excited about what God is doing in this city, what God is doing in this church. So um, I just want to hear uh, from me as pastor of the church. Welcome. We're excited. You could be a part. And I really love that we're doing family photos, like he says. So swing by. Um, Jesus is going to be out there taking pro photos, and we'll get that to you as an opportunity to uh, really celebrate. But let's pray together this morning as we head into the Word. Let's join together. Would you just bow your heads with me? We're going to pray together. God, I just thank you that we could gather here to celebrate that you have risen. Lord, I pray that this morning as we hear from your word, as we dive into scripture, God, I pray that your word would come alive in our hearts, Lord. I pray that if there's any hardness in our hearts, you would just open it. And if there's any distractions, you would just remove them. God, we just commit this time, these next few moments, it's just listening to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank the worship band this morning? Amen. Hope you all had a chance to go to our cafe and get some coffee. It is just crazy good. And um, Nick could probably tell you that. Yeah, what up, girl? Yeah, it's good, right? Yeah, it's real good. All the proceeds of our coffee um, and in the batch that they bought, it comes from a Wanda. And all the proceeds from provision, everything they buy and sell from that from that farm goes to rebuilding infrastructure in, for, in Rwanda. There we go. So I want to encourage you, if you go across the street, that builds their infrastructure. Um, but if you go here, it builds it in a, in a place that we really want to just shine the light and the love of Christ. So you can get coffee at any point that you want. If you're a guest, I'll buy the coffee for you. It's on me. And you can just go get it and tell them, hey, I'm new here. I would like this for free. And you get that. So <laughs> next week you got to pay, but no, <laughs> um, we're excited you're here. I, I'm excited for Easter. Uh, I, I've really been thinking and working all week and praying and just um, fasting and praying over what uh, to speak on this week and what the Lord really wants to say. And so I, I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of finally be here on Easter to rejoice. We had a great Good Friday service. If you're a Good Friday, I mean, honestly, we had a blast just remembering what Jesus has done on the cross. And so this morning on Easter, we get the blessed privilege of realizing and recognizing what Jesus has done in the victory. And can I tell you this morning that the victory is not just a victory for Jesus, but a victory for you. So no matter how you came in this morning, my prayer is that you would leave victorious. And so I want you to come in, and no matter how you came in, you're going to leave a winner this morning. Um, so we're believing with you. Easter, Easter. When I say Easter, here's what I want to do. On the count of three, I want you guys just to shout out the first thing that comes to your mind when I say Easter. Some people are going to be like, Jesus. That's okay. You can do that. That's good. But I want to hear, what is the, when you think Easter, when you see Easter, what is the first thing, just one word, first thing, 
that comes to your mind. It can be all different things, but on the count of three, we're all gonna shout out, what's one thing that comes to your mind when I say Easter? So on the count of three, ready? Can we do this together? We're good? Matt, are you in? Good, Matt's in. <laughs> on the count of three, we're gonna shout out one, two, three. Bunnies, yes, thank you. <laughs> good. There's all, I mean, honestly, Easter is this hilarious holiday. Did I hear foxes? Did someone say foxes? Who said foxes? Was that Doug? <laughs> There's a tradition I'm missing in Arizona. I'm new, so yeah. Anyways, um, but there's so many, so many symbols in Easter, and some of them are honestly hilarious. Like, this is really the first year I've had to explain holidays to my kid. And holidays make sense to you in your mind till you have to explain them to a toddler. Then they make no sense. Like, they make absolutely no sense. Santa's cool until you're, like, explaining to a child that a large-bearded man is going to be an E into your house and, like, leave things and take our food. Like, that makes sense until you're like, no, he comes in. And she's like, so we let people in? Like, no, we don't let everybody in. But, like, he comes in in the night, and he sneaks in. So it's fine. But don't wake up. You know, if you wake up, it doesn't leave you anything. Like, we're teaching our children terrible life lessons. <laughs> Anyways, but Easter is kind of the same way as we have all these traditions like we have bunnies and we have Easter eggs and then we hide eggs. So I'm like trying to explain like, yeah, there's, there's a bunny. It's going to bring you presents. It might look like Mimi, your grandma, so we call her grandma. It might look like Mimi's doing it, but really it's a large rabbit who's going to break in in the morning. Like what time does the rabbit break in and deliver things? It's early. Earlier than you get up, it's going to come in, it's going to leave you eggs, and Jesus is risen. You know, like, that's essentially, like, the progression of explaining Easter to my child is, like, I'm trying to process this information to her, and I'm like, well, this, none, none of this really makes a great deal of sense trying to explain it. And, and as I was explaining it, I kind of realized, like, I have no idea really why the bunny, like I have a loose idea and there's all this symbolism and can I tell you, I wanna provide clarity this morning because I think there's the funny symbols and then I think there's the life-changing symbols, the things that stand for all eternity. And, and, and I love the funny stuff because I like holidays. My wife and I, we, we go all out on holidays. We have fun, we, we, I love like holiday kitsch, just all of the junk that you can purchase. Like you don't need to make a cupcake look like a rabbit, but it's Easter, so do it, like it's fun. Hang stuff from your doors. No one can blame you. You can be messy. It's a blast. But uh, I was curious, you know, why the Easter bunny? Why, why the bunny? Um, you know, a lot of Easter traditions that you and I celebrate come from Central Europe. A lot of the traditions that we celebrate because, uh, especially in America, we're an immigrant culture, obviously, uh, and there's people that come from all over. And so with that comes traditions. And in Europe, uh, there's this kind of collection of traditions as the church expanded out, traditions kind of met other traditions and, and grew. And so originally, Resurrection Sunday was always celebrated. Like we have the Council of Nicaea, it, it's like established as a day. In the early, 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 early church, it was, you know, to celebrate. But there was no mention of bunnies, no mention of eggs, no mention of peeps. It was just, it existed as a Resurrection Sunday to be celebrated. And they picked the same uh, day and a changing day we talked on Palm Sunday. Why does Easter move? Because Easter falls in relation to Passover, right? 
It's the um, last Thursday after the first full moon after uh, the vernal equinox, right? It falls in a specific order. And so Easter falls on a certain day. And so really that was all that stood. But as Easter and as more countries came to know the Lord, places know the Lord, more traditions came in. So Easter comes uh, some... It's highly debated. Where does the name Easter come from? But Easter comes from either a couple ideas. People say, oh, well, early historians said it came from this uh, God that was celebrated in the spring and it was like this name. And so they just kind of took that and were like, oh, hey, you know what you celebrate? It's this. Really, a lot of people say what it comes from is the German word Osterna or Ostern is what they would call Resurrection Sunday for dawn. And so they would have this celebration Sunday and as, you know, word traveled, words change, right? And initially in life, in human culture, kids weren't exactly the same upper echelon in the family as they are now. Is that kids weren't seen, like people didn't like devote their whole life to select soccer in the Middle Ages. That was not what they did. It wasn't like, yeah, we have to take Jaslyn to, to soccer and then sports and then pottery and then all this. And then it was like their whole life, right? Um, that wasn't it. And so as kids grew in Central Europe to a more prominent uh, place in the family, they moved out of being like equal to servants and they moved up in the family. Parents thought, we got to do more stuff for kids. And here's what really happened if you're a parent. They said, man, Easter's early. We got to think of more stuff to distract our kids so they stay busy while we wake up. And so all of these things started coming out. So the rabbit came from uh, in Central Europe, the hare or the rabbit was like a really prominent figure, meaning spring, new life. It came out of a burrow. It symbolized like coming out uh, of, a gra- of the grave for Jesus. And so the rabbit became this kind of like springtime new life symbol. And so what they would do uh, is they would take baskets or hats or jackets and they would make like little baskets, little beds for rabbits. And they would hide them around the house and the, and the belief was like the springtime rabbit would come and like make a nest, right? I don't, I don't say it was a good idea. I just said they did it. <laughs> People are looking at me like, why? Like, I don't know. Like, I've never been to Germany. You have to ask them. Um, <laughs> so then uh, eggs is the other one that I find fascinating. So I guess eggs, nest, it works. But a lot of cultures celebrated the egg as a symbol of new life. It was at meals. It was at feasts. And really dying of the eggs came from a gift presentation. So when the Crusaders came back to Europe, they brought with them to combine with the Central European idea of, of eggs, and eggs dyed or covered in gold leaf. And it's, uh, I read in 1290, um, Edward of England recorded a purchase of 450 eggs to be colored or covered with gold leaf. Then he gave eggs to the members of the royal house. So people in response, because you did whatever the royalty did, but you didn't have gold leaf because you were not royalty, they started dyeing them. And so since they had the baskets pre-made, they were like, well, let's just put the eggs in there. And I guess that makes sense. I'm with it. But why hide them? Why hide eggs? And again, this goes back to what I said. It's to keep kids busy. (laughs) 90% of my parenting is keeping my child busy. That is like... That is like an effort of my life. We call, I call it teaching, but really it's keeping her busy. Like, I bet you can't open this, you know, like, bet you can't dig that hole deeper than this. Like, this is not, we call it gardening, but really she's, she's digging a hole and I'm making sure she doesn't kill plants. That's, that's, that's the balance we strike. And I think it works because she's, you know, she's getting tough and holes are getting dug. (laughs) So if you come over to my house, just keep your eyes open. You'll break your ankle. Uh, 
the ground here is hard, so it takes her a while. But <laughs> they would hide the eggs, way off topic here, but it's Easter. Um, they would hide the eggs because in Central Europe, in German culture, they would have, I don't know if anyone has done this in your family, they would hide pretzels. That was like a thing uh, in, the, in Christmas season. I don't know if anyone's been a part of this, but you hide pretzels and the kids would go find them. So it was just kind of this natural connection, like, well, we already hide things to keep our kids busy while we wake up. Let's hide eggs. And so they had the eggs, they hide them. And so there became this like collection of symbolism and now everywhere you go, you see eggs, dyed eggs, bunnies, rabbits, all these kind of things. And you're like, what does this even matter in my life? And in reality, it, it practically doesn't. But there's a list of funny symbols, bunnies, eggs, hiding eggs. I mean, it's, it's obscure. We can make jokes. But then there are powerful symbols in Easter. And I think what can happen in a tradition, what can happen in life, what can happen in, in just the general day-to-day -day is there's so much focus on like Easter ham and Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and all these things that we begin to miss, the really powerful symbols that if we would look to and see this is a message for us, this has been shown to us to change our life, if we could actually kind of weed out the, the distraction and look at the good thing that it would change your life today. And it would change foundationally who you realize you are called to be. And I, I really believe when we look at Easter, the two symbols that stand out, the two images, maybe images, we'll go with that, is the cross and the tomb. The cross and the tomb. I think the cross is one of the most interesting symbols in how it's been used in our culture day to day. Because the cross is everywhere, right? Right? I was at the store the other day, they were just t-shirts with like crosses all over them. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't like a religious thing. It was just like, I don't know, it was like sewn in. It's not my jam, but you know, whatever. Um, and there were crosses on buildings. There's crosses, you know, tattoos. There's crosses everywhere. The cross is a symbol that's kind of all over the place. And being everywhere has kind of maybe lost its meaning a little bit because it's just this universal thing. It's just a really large T. Is It's all over the place. But the cross is a powerful message, and it's powerful because of what happened today, 2,000 years ago. See, the Romans wouldn't have seen a cross as a fun symbol. To the Romans, uh, a cross was a symbol of crucifixion. Right, to the Romans, a cross was a symbol of a violent death. They would not have uh, put crosses on things for fun. They wouldn't have worn them around their neck. They wouldn't have featured them in any prominent place. A cross was a symbol of death, of crucifixion, of pain. So why then is the cross everywhere? Why does a symbol of Roman torture and execution and pain matter to you and I now 2,000 years later? Why does Easter matter to you? A friend convinced you to come, a family member guilted you, maybe a nearby neighbor had promises of whatever's in Easter eggs now, jelly beans, I don't know, those are good. Whatever it was, they brought you here, but in the end, at the end of the service, you are going to have to ask yourself, why does this matter to me? Why, why does this matter to me? That's great information. Why does it matter to me? 
And can I tell you what happened in the grave on Easter matters to you because it sent an eternal message of love throughout all time to encounter you here today and say, God's message for you when you look at the cross is not here's a T, here's a symbol, here's crucifixion, it's here is love for you. And I think of all the symbols, the cross may be one of the most important when it is combined with what happened in the tomb. And so today my prayer is that you would see the cross as God's symbol of great love for you. The cross says love. Uh, if you brought your Bible, would you do me a favor this morning? Would you open up to Matthew 26? Uh, we're going to be in verse 47 through 54. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture this morning. Some of it will be on the screen. Maybe. <laughs> Some of it will not. Um, Jan will run back in a second and fix that. Um, but the, the thing about the scripture as we have it is I encourage you, we don't always all come with our Bible or all these things, or maybe you've never been in a church, but I just wanna encourage you follow along and just listen. Sometimes the best thing to do is like close our eyes and just focus in on a lot of scripture and just hear. So if you brought your Bible or didn't bring your Bible, uh, we're gonna read scripture together and some of it will be on the screens with us. But here's Matthew 26, 47 through 54. It says, this is Jesus. Jesus is, is in the garden praying. This is right before he's taken. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer, this is Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once, Jesus Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward and they seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, get this, with that, one of Jesus's companions, this is Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Verse 52 says, Put your sword back in its place, as Jesus. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? This morning, I want us to get something. Before we get to, to, to the it is risen moment, we have to look what led up to it because it's so powerful. The context is so powerful. We talked a little bit on Good Friday, but, but I believe it's powerful for us this morning because there are three specific things that we see about the love of Jesus as we read about the crucifixion and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, there's three things. And the first one we see begin right here, and that is that his love is freely given. His love is freely given. See, nobody forced Jesus to go to the cross for you. God did not kung fu kick Jesus out of heaven so, and then trick him and now he is like, well, I'm down here. You know, Jesus willingly went to the cross for you. Jesus willingly went to the cross. And he knows, can I tell you, the suffering on the cross was not a surprise for Jesus as he got up there and was like, man, I would not do this again. You know, he knew going ahead of time his suffering. In fact, just previously in Luke 22, uh, he's in the garden. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. It says he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And here's what he says. He says, Father, this is Jesus. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, 
I want your will to be done, not mine. It says that an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. See, he knew, Jesus knows in this moment he has to take the sins of the world. He knows in this moment that he has to suffer. When Jesus is looking at the cross, what he's seeing is a line of cross in Rome and, and, the, and suffering and suffering and suffering and the pain that he is gonna have to endure upon himself, the humiliating, humiliating death on a cross. But can I tell you, he knows the suffering, but he chose to be the sacrifice. Now, why did he do that? because of his great love for us. See, Jesus freely gives his love for us. I think free can be a dangerous word sometimes, right? Especially when you talk about love. When you, when you talk about free love, it can be dangerous because sometimes we begin to uh, um, attach the word free with the word costless, right? We begin to attach the word free with the word easily given. We begin to attach the word free with this kind of like free love, man. Like we attach these, this symbolism of that it is not worth what it is really worth. But when I say freely given, I mean that it was not demanded of him. Love coerced is counterfeit. And so Jesus, when he willingly goes to the cross, he shows not only love, but true love is that Jesus freely lays down his life for us. Right, Peter is doing what is the realistic in our world thing, I think, to do when someone comes to take the guy you're following. Like, Peter knows what's up. They're coming to kill him. And if you've been following a guy, you're like, no, 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 no. Like, you can't just murder one of my, let alone like following him, just one of your friends. Like, no, this is not happening. And Peter's a strong guy, so he gets a sword and he cuts off the ear. He, he goes to town, he makes it happen. If you were part of a revolution, this would be the viva la revolution like moment, right? This would be your like, on the horses, let's go. Like you'd be like, we did it. And then you would tell stories and someone would write a ballad and it'd be beautiful, but Jesus just flips it. And Peter's like, I kind of thought that's, we were doing this revolution thing. And he flips it and he says, no, no swords. And he willingly goes. And Jesus says, I have all the power, I have all the authority, I have all the strength to reject this, but when I look throughout time, I look into the hearts of those who were there then and those who sit here today, and I say, I freely go to the cross so I can freely give my love to you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did not resist but went to the cross for you, knowing you would sit here and hear that his love is freely given. Can I tell you? Yeah, amen, you can clap, that's all right, come on. There we go, come on, thank you. I come from a clapping background, so I can't really tell if I'm doing all right unless you say amen. <laughs> Some people are like, eh, got to read the room, I guess. Wait, come on, girl. <laughs> but Romans 5, 7, I love this because, to be honest, dying for someone is, is hard to fathom. Dying for someone, if it doesn't, you know, come with pride or a good person, it's hard to fathom. Romans 5, 7 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. Get this, hear this this morning. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Here it is. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, Christ dying on the cross shows that his love was freely given without a qualification for those who it was given to. It was freely given to say, I'm gonna go to the cross knowing that I'm dying for the very people that are crucifying me, for the very people that are spitting on me, for the very people that are beating me. I go to the cross willingly. I go to the cross for those who would stand as the God of themselves and say, I gotta figure it out. I don't need this garbage in my life. I still go to the cross for those people because I love them and care for them freely. Can I tell you, Jesus was perfect, but he chose to bear the shame, the sin of the world upon himself and take it willingly to the cross. I say that willingly over and over again, because when we have power, we choose to protect ourselves. Jesus had all the power, but he chose to let, he chose to lay it down for you and I. And if you can get what that means for sacrificial love, it will change the way that you see Jesus. First Peter 2 said, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's Jesus. And it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, though he had all the power, right? When he suffered, he made no threats and said he entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. That's the Lord. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Can I tell you this morning, it does not matter how you came into this place. Maybe you were prepared. You're really prepared for Easter. You're like, I got my, I got my peach shirt on. Like, I'm A game. I'm ready to go. Like, I feel good. Like, I, I'm ready to deal with all these church people. Or maybe you were unprepared. Like, it's just like, well, I'm driving by. And maybe you're dressed up. Maybe you feel good to go. Maybe you feel exhausted. Maybe you feel tired. It doesn't matter how you came in. No matter what you carried in here, it says by his wounds you have been healed. There is not a qualification. There's just a moment where Jesus looks at you and he says, my love is freely given to you. Nothing stopped me from going to the cross 2,000 years ago and nothing can stop me from pouring my love out to you this morning. And so here's how it happens. I wanna read this because the word of God is alive and active and it says it better than I could say it. Uh, so they take him, after they've taken him here and after Peter does the thing with the ear, they take him to Caiaphas, they take him before the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin was really the Jewish law, it was the Jewish court, they were under occupation. So you had Jewish court and then above that you had resting kind of outside of that Roman court. So they take him first to Jewish court and it says in Matthew 26, 59, and I'll just read this uh, for you real quick. It says, um, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Get that. They didn't find any evidence, even though a lot of people came forward and made false witnesses. That's how you know you're clean, that when false witnesses come forward, they don't even find anything on you. Like, the lies don't stick. So this is saying, Jesus is clean. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm gonna destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says right here, 64, you have said so, but I say to all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. What is he saying here? He's saying that I am the Son of God, that I am the Son of God. And so they're pissed. 
So they take him to Pilate because they're furious, right? Because he's basically said, all these things you believe in, I'm about to fulfill those for you. And they're like, nah, I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like how you're coming. We want a warrior. You're not who we want. And so they, they're mad. So they take him to Pilate, 27 verse 11. It says, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. This is Pilate. And he asked, are you the king of the Jews? Again, Jesus replies, you have said so. Verse 12, when he was accused by the chief of priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Get this again, that Jesus is not trying to stop because he is freely and willingly going to the cross. He knows what's gonna come. And though he is perfect and could defend himself, what he says is, you know what? I'm about to bring deliverance. I don't need a personal defense. Going on as 15, it says, the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. That time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release? Jesus, or uh, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest they had handed him, Jesus over to him. Pilate knows this guy's clean, but he goes with it. It says, if we skip down, chief of priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and Jesus to, be execu- to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And that really torqued him off. So they said, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that in, instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am an innocent man, innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility says they take him away. It says the governor's soldiers, they take Jesus. They gather the whole company of soldiers and they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns. They put a staff in his hand. And then it says they go around him and they kneel in front of him and they mock him. And then they get up and they beat him. So they strip him of all of his clothes. They mock him and they beat him. And then it says they bring him back out. And here's where we are. Matthew 27, 32 through 54, one of the most powerful moments in human history. It says, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross, Jesus' cross, because he was beaten so badly. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over them. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. Here is the charge, what he has been charged with. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. It says, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are really the son of God. It says, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. It says, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him. It says, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels were crucified with him, also heaped insults on him. 
Get this right here, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama, uh, <clears throat> lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Elijah was a prophet in Israel and, and who they were expecting to speak. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That moment, the curtain of the temple, the divide in the temple, the thing that separated those who could go in in the presence of God and those who had to stay out, the divide, it says the curtain in the temple was, was torn from top to the bottom, from the heaven to the earth. What separated them from communion with the Lord was torn. The earth shook, the rock splits, the tomb broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died, were raised to life. Come on, get that. That's like its own thing. I could preach on that. Dead people got out of the ground and walked back into the city. That would have been for real. Things would have changed. That would have radically messed with our perception. If you had just buried someone and then you saw them recently after, it would have been surprising. So this is they go back into the holy city. And it says when the centurion and those who were, who were guarding Jesus saw what had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. I think in this moment, all of hell is rejoicing that they have killed the son of God. The enemy rejoices, right? This is it. Not only did you kill Jesus, but you humiliated Jesus. You embarrassed Jesus. You destroyed him in his body, in his life. You attacked him. You broke him. You humiliated him. And, and all of the enemy thinks that they've won. In fact, the disciples, I think, share that sentiment is that they scatter. They think, what, what good is a dead God? What good is a dead Savior? What good does that do us? We're terrified. We should leave. We should go. It's hard to be a part of something that's changing the world if the leader of it is dead. And can I tell you even beyond, and this is what changes, is that all throughout different religions, the, the point is to trust in an idea, right? Put your hope in this idea that you might attain a place in paradise. That's a consistent theme in a lot of religions. Here's where Jesus is different. Jesus says, don't put your hope and your trust in an idea. Your hope and your trust is in me, right? Jesus said, they, they heard him say in John, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, which is exciting for us on Resurrection Sunday. But in this moment, you have to think that would have had to have shaken their entire world because they think, well, great, there's no way for us to get to the Father now. We just backed a dying horse because all of their effort and all of their might went into someone who didn't say, no, 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 it's not living for an idea or attaining a nirvana or stepping into a promise or attaining a level of works to get to paradise. It's saying your hope is in me and that is how you get to the Father, which shakes you if the person you're putting your hope in dies. Because if you think they're just a person, if you don't get what's coming. And so they look and they saw the cross. And when they looked at the cross, they saw a symbol of destruction of everything they had ever hoped in, in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, where the enemy thinks that he's won, they saw this symbol, not as a symbol of love, not as a message of the love of Jesus, but as of death. Can I tell you that they didn't realize what was coming? Because on this day, 2,000 years ago, 
the love of God broke through and said something that changed the world, and that is that his love is powerful. The love of God is powerful. Right at the height of where the enemy thinks that he has won and defeated Jesus and embarrassed him and scattered the disciples and broken the hope and that the hope for you, the bondage in your life just must remain forever because he is one. In that heightened moment, in the despair of the disciples, three days after he's crucified, it says his love is powerful. See, they take Jesus, they lay him in a tomb. They put a massive stone over it. They seal it. They protect it. They put guards in front of it. They're like, we're not messing around with this dude. You got to think there were moments thousands of people were following Jesus. I know we focused on the 12, but thousands of people were following this carpenter around. So on the third day, Easter Sunday, on this day, here's what happens. Can we read together this morning? It's in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Follow along as I read. It should be on the screen. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. It says, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. That's a good response. And ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Jesus wants to meet some of you suddenly this morning. It says, greetings, he said, and he came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, the disciples, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So his disciples come to the tomb. And again, we're in this moment of, of trying to put ourselves in their position and seeing that they were in a place of despair. If you've ever been in a place of depression and despair and hopelessness and feel like there's no way of climbing out, you know, there's no good thoughts, there's no nice things, there's no hallmark cards, there's no good words that can get you out of this. And you know what the disciples were feeling in this moment. It's not a far off thought. I, I've been there. If you've been there, you know that there is nothing that someone could say that could just lift you out. So they come in despair. And it says, and I love this, that Mary and Mary go. You know, in this time, this was actually very profound to have two women be witnesses to something because in court, the witness of a woman would have had to have been supported by the witness of a man. So in the scope of the world, Jesus is doing and the Lord is doing something very uh, important here is that he's establishing the value of the daughters of God as well as the sons of God and saying that you have value and that you are valued. And if someone's ever tried to take that away from you because of your gender, that you were not valued, right here, Jesus is instilling it to say, you know who the first to bear witness, even though the world told you that your witness wasn't worth as much as, much as a man's? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Come on, the first to witness me were the women. They had the faith, they had the power, they went out, they weren't afraid and they went and did it. So anyway, side note, but you get to take that home, ladies. Side note. <laughs> Wasn't in the notes, but we got there. But they come and they hear these words, and I want you to hear these words again. He is not here, he has risen. He is not here. Can I tell you, if you take role at the tombs of every religious leader through all time, the answer will be here. 
If you take roll at tombs of every person who's lived, the answer will be here. They are still there. Jesus is the only one. When you go to the tomb, if you were to go to the tomb of Jesus and take roll, the answer would be the echo of your own voice because Jesus is not there. He has risen. And all of Christianity, all of what we believe stands on this one truth. It is worthless without this. Good Friday is great, but it's not as exciting as this moment, which is everything we believe is worthless without this. And that is he is not in the grave. He has risen. See, death takes the stone, the enemy takes the stone, and he rolls it over the tomb because the enemy loves doing this. I don't know if you guys have ever been encountered this. The enemy likes to take something heavy and burdensome and roll it in front and bury what should be of the Lord in the grave and say it's dead, it's broken, it's worthless, it's hopeless, to roll it in front and say it's over. Good riddance. Good riddance to hope. I'm done with hope. That's what he likes to do. But the love of Jesus is powerful. And his resurrection, when he comes out of the tomb, it points back to the cross and says, hey, you know what? You know what you saw as a symbol of destruction and death and weakness and you mocked me and you thought it was a symbol of hopelessness. You know what it really is? A message of love. For all of time, Jesus loves you. I think it's funny we say, the only thing for sure in life is death and taxes. Jesus talked a lot about money, but he made the biggest victory over death. Think about it, it doesn't matter to me how successful, it doesn't matter to the world how successful you are, it doesn't matter how good looking you are, it doesn't matter how powerful you are. In the end, death is powerful and strong. And so when Jesus defeats death, he defeats what no person could defeat. You could take all your money, you could pile it up, you could leave it at the doorstep in the hopes that death won't come for you and it will go right by it. That's not how it works. But Jesus Christ, because of his love, overcomes death. See, death was the enemy's plan for you. Can I tell you this morning, that was his plan. His plan was to leave you in bondage. That was his thing. But Jesus defeated death. When the, when the angel tells Mary he is risen, what he's really saying to her and to you this morning is death is defeated. See, on the cross, the message rings out, sin is defeated. Your sin, your shame, he takes it and he defeats it. And then this morning on Easter Sunday, the message rings out that death is defeated. See, the resurrection shows the power of his love. See, if Jesus stayed in the grave, can I tell you, he'd be proven a liar. I know in our kind of uh, culture now, we like to say like, well, Jesus was a great teacher. Like Jesus was bonkers if he stayed dead. You cannot walk around for years telling people you are going to rise from the dead and then not do it and not be crazy. If I spend the next three years of my life wandering around telling y'all that I'm going to raise from the dead and then I don't, you're not going to be like, yeah, he was, he was, he was all right. You'd be like, that guy was crazy. I stopped going to that church because it got weird. <laughs> we would, nobody would go with that, right, because it would be crazy. And so this morning, can I tell you that in the resurrection of Jesus... When he rises from the grave, he sends this message that not only do I have the depth of love to forgive your sins and to pay the sacrifice, but I have the power of love to prove that it's real. The power of love to defeat anything. See, the cross shows the depth of his love, but his victory in the grave shows the power of his love for you. I love Romans 8.38 because it reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that you are loved by Jesus? 
He loves you. Sometimes we can get serving him, but we forget loving him and that he loves us. He loves you this morning. Romans 8, 38, I love this. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. His love is freely given. His love is powerful. And the third thing this morning, hear me when I say this, kick your neighbor, tell him, pay attention. <laughs> third thing, yeah, don't, don't kick him. Third thing this morning, his love changes everything. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Who are you? How has the world defined you? You don't have to shout it out loud, but just think about that. How have the things that have been done to you defined who you are and the label that's put on you? How are the choices that you have made, how have those defined you? and put a label on you? What words, what thoughts, what identity have you placed upon yourself? That's good, amen. You know, I remember when we were youth pastors, we would meet in the area we were in, we spent a lot of time with students who were struggling with addiction, a lot of times coming from, from really rough homes, and we'd begin to meet with them. And what I realized is that because of the conditions of life, what had happened is the identity that was placed on them that was so easily rejected at the beginning became a part of their present reality. And that they begin to identify with the things that had been done to them as the core of their being. Right, so uh, we would minister to, to a young gal that was sexually abused, and because of that, she began to call herself, herself, a, a, a child of God. She would call herself a slut because of this. Not, she did not do anything to herself. It was done as she would identify as this. And, and we would say, no, the love of God has broken this. And she would just say, no, I, I, this is who I am. Or I, I would meet with young men and they would, because they were not treated with the respect and love and care they deserve, they would identify themselves as a failure and a loser. And they would harm themselves and they would harm others. And to be honest, nothing changes when we become an adult. We just get more creative with our words, right? As we still carry identities and words and, and the, the lies of the enemy on our shoulders, but we use different words. We say, you know, forgotten or failure or working on it. Or we'll say, I'm fine. Like youth, you transition from like, ah, to I'm fine. That's like the, the youth transition. I'm fine, I'm doing great. And can I tell you that we find ourselves as people still trapped in the same things, in the same lust, the same fear, the same anger, the same pride. And a lot of times this is because of what has been done to us and not because you're choosing anything. But can I tell you the enemy has lied to the sons and daughters of God and used these lies to form your identity. See, from the beginning of time, the enemy has been trying to redefine who you were created to be. He's been trying to redefine who you were built to be. He's trying to redefine who you were built to live in communion with. And so he, Satan uses jealousy, pride, gossip, gluttony, sinfulness, appetites that we, sh that we pursue to put a separation. And so in sin, we are in bondage because when we 
go and dive our heart and our soul into these things, into these things that we know are not our identity, but because of what's been spoken over us, put on us, or chosen by us, we just dive in and we're like, you know what? If this is what people are gonna think about me, I might as well just be this person. I might as well just be this person. If people think I'm prideful, I might as well just go be the man. Like I might as well just get into it. If people think I'm angry, I might as well just dive into anger. Like who cares anyways? This is how I'm built to be. And the enemy lies to us and puts a separation between us and God. Why did God make me a loser? Why would a loving God allow this to happen to me? Why would a loving God allow me to grow up like this? If he was loving, he should have done something. But why am I like this? And the enemy comes in and he tries to rob us of our identity and of our purpose and of our being. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, you do not deserve the love of God. You are not worthy of the love of God. The love of God is some silly idea for those fluffy Christians in the all white and black church here. That's for them. That's not for you. That's some fluffy, foofy idea. You're broken. You're a piece of crap. You have this on your life. This has been done to you. You can never understand. And it begins to come in and undercut you. But can I tell you that there is more to life than being a slave to brokenness and sin. There is more to life than that. And sometimes I think we get this thing like pastors come up and you're like, yeah, well, you think it's that easy. Like, no, I don't think it's easy. I think Jesus had to die to do it. Like, I think it's real. I talk to, I talk to people in the church all the time. It's real what God is helping you overcome. I'm not minimizing it. I'm exalting what he did. John 10, 10, I love this. Get this in your heart. John 10, 10, it says this. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus, that they may have a life and have it to the full. See, the enemy comes to you and he says, you're forgotten. The enemy comes to you and says, ah, no, 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 this is your lot in life. This is who you're meant to be. The enemy comes to you and says, man, you got it figured out. You don't need this, right? The enemy comes and he says these things to you and you say these things, I'm, I'm God of my own life. I don't need anybody. And, and he becomes and he breaks you down to this un, feeling unworthy of the love of Jesus. But I wanna tell you the good news this morning that no matter the lies the enemy has told you, the cross of Jesus Christ has the final word on your life. The cross of Jesus has the final word. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all of your sin, all of your shame, the gnarliest, craziest, grossest, brutal thought, sin you could ever imagine. He took that to the cross already. It's done. You don't gotta wait for it. It's done. He took that to the cross for you and he defeated sin. And then on this day, 2,000 years ago, he defeated death itself so that there might be power. And that power means in your life that there is nothing that the cross cannot overcome. There is nothing the cross cannot overcome. By the cross, do I mean the two pieces of wood put together or the stake or however you really envision it? No, I mean the love of Jesus displayed for all to see that his arms are open saying, here is the love of God. It's for you. And I've risen to show that it has power. This is pretty cool. If you've never encountered the love of God, I wanna tell you this morning that Jesus, when he rose in victory, he rose to bring you into victory. Like I said at the beginning, you, if you surrender your heart to Christ, get to leave victorious, no matter how victorious, how much of a winner you feel. We get to take our brokenness, our, our sin, and lay it at his feet. In exchange, he gives us victory. Never have we gotten so much for giving up such junk in our life 
That is the most beautiful exchange that could ever exist. I get all of my brokenness, all of this junk. No one wants this. And I lay it at the feet of Jesus and he gives me something I could never buy, never earn. And we get to, we get to cry out, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sing? See, the enemy might have done his best to have the final word on my life, but I get to stand on the promise of God through the power of his resurrection and say, the cross has the final word on my life. The enemy came into my life and he said, this is what you're gonna be. This is who you are. This is the love you deserve. And you know what? Jesus stands on the cross and he goes for all the sin in the world and then he comes out of the grave and he says, no, the cross has the final word. I decide. The enemy doesn't decide. We get to crush Satan under our heel because the cross has the final word. I want to tell you this morning that the love of Jesus can change everything in your life. I'm not saying you won't encounter problems. I'm not saying the world is all of a sudden like you enter into an easier version. It's like you go through a gate and it's like, oh yeah, hey, this is a garden in here. <laughs> says in John, says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. See, you don't step out of the world, but you step into victory. The love of Jesus changes everything. The enemy doesn't have the final word. The world doesn't have the final word. Your sin and shame don't have the final word. The cross has the final word. I'm gonna invite our band up this morning. You know, as I was praying through this and praying through this message, I, I was thinking, what is what is it as, as we respond to the moment of resurrection that, that really matters to us, what matters the most to us? And can I tell you that there is a victory that you step into that frees and releases you from bondage and sin. And sometimes I think we, we like to go through motions. Sometimes I think we like to go through... Um, you know, the mechanics of church and we go at different times and, and we make things happen. But this morning, I really feel like, and, and I really feel like the Lord is leading me this week, that this morning, God wants to release some of you from what the enemy has tried to put on you. That the enemy has lied to you. Can I tell you this morning, some of you came in here carrying a lie of the enemy on your shoulders about your identity. And that he still looks at you and he says, you're precious, you're priceless, you're loved, you're valued. And can I tell you, Jesus has skin in the game. He's proven it. And so this morning, we're gonna take an opportunity and I'm gonna invite, the band is just gonna play through this. You can stay seated. The band's gonna play through and we have just a quick presentation, but I want you to reflect today the fact that the cross has the final word in your life. The enemy doesn't have the final word. The cross has the final word. No matter what you came in here with, no matter what you carry, no matter how prepared you feel or overwhelmed you feel, no matter your situation, the cross has the final word. You can watch this this morning.
cross has the final word the cross has the final word evil may put the strongest fight but the cross has the final
Corinthians, it says, for if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And as we write these words and we carry these words upon ourselves, words like worthless and alone, unloved, words that the enemy comes, is Jesus comes with his blood and he covers and it wipes away. He wipes away all of the things the enemy has tried to put upon us. He wipes away all the words that he has tried to lay upon us. And it and in this moment on Resurrection Sunday, though he takes it all upon him, we celebrate that the cross has the final word in your life, has the final word in my life, that though the enemy writes unloved, we are loved. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads, focus your hearts in this moment? In the moment, you're gonna have a chance to make a decision if you wanna receive this love, but I want you to hear my words before we get there. With every eye closed, focusing in, hear my words that some of you this morning have carried the word like was written on this board, unloved. And God is saying, you are loved. Some of you this morning, you're carrying the word unworthy, but God says you are worthy through his love. Some of you this morning, you're carrying the word worthless. But I wanna say this morning that you are cherished. You are not forgotten. And this morning, if you would step into the love of Jesus, if you would lay your life at his feet and say, Jesus, I'm tired of doing this by myself. I'm tired of, of subjecting myself to the lie of the enemy. I'm, I'm tired of trying to figure this out on my own. I, I need to say, I need a savior. This morning, I need to be saved. I wanna walk in the goodness. I wanna walk in the full life. Scripture says, confess with your mouth. And I'm gonna invite you in just a moment, if you want the love of Jesus to change everything, to go from feeling unloved to love, worthless to worthy, broken to healed, forgotten to remembered and cherished. In just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand and say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? With every eye closed, every head bowed, this is your moment. I think it's important to own moments. I think it's important to step into moments and not let them go by. You don't know what's gonna happen when you leave this place. I don't know what, what's to expect when you go, but can I tell you right now, you have the choice with every head bowed, every eye closed, Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, would you step into my love? Would you receive my love this morning? He's speaking to some of you. If that's you, if right now in this moment, Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, would you give me your heart? Would you step into my love? And this morning, you are willing to lift up your hand and say, God, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I choose to follow you. The count of three, I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand. Maybe some of you, you've made this decision before, but you have wandered far from the moment of this decision. Right now, Jesus is saying, I love you. You might feel unworthy, but I've made you worthy. Come step back into the love. So on the count of three, every head closed, every eye bowed. One, if you this morning say, I wanna receive the love of Jesus and choose to follow him with my life. Two, if you're saying this morning, I've given my heart, but I feel broken, I feel lost, and I wanna step back in 
to experiencing the love of Jesus in my life and choosing to follow him with every head, eye closed or head bowed. Three, would you raise your hand this morning? Just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. With every head closed and every eye bowed. We're gonna pray together for both those who are committed for the first time and then those who are recommitting this morning. And, and there's not any like magic words or special prayer. There's not any special formula. The scripture is the word of God, but when we pray, we're making a commitment that says today, I choose to follow Jesus and receive his love today. When we pray together is the first step in your journey of a life with Jesus Christ. So I would like you, just everyone together, can we repeat together in the unity that comes through the cross? Would you pray after me? Say, Father God, come on, Lally, Father God, I come before you today and repent of all my sins. I believe you sent your son to die for me, that he rose again to bring me new life. I choose today to follow you come into my heart and change my life. In Jesus' name, 